Um, talk about the day that was Christmas Eve, Christmas night, that my uh, mother-in-law got a house fire and her house burned down. 2 a.m. Christmas morning, we got that note. So I'm not trying to retell this testimony. What I'm trying to do is relate it to what Christine just said. The, uh, the next morning, we got scrambled, got everything together. We had to uh, do some things for my mother-in-law when she was in the hospital at Crittenton, and we had to collect our stuff and go down to Toledo to the burn unit where our son was. It was a very, very chaotic day. So what I had to do on that morning is I had to go inside that house and find some things that she needed, some uh, paperwork, things like that. So I had to go inside that house that was a, a gutted, burnt-down mess, and I had to wade through the water and the mushy drywall. And I, have you ever smelled the smell of a house that has burnt to the ground? Have you ever smelled that? I will never forget that smell in my whole life. So we did all that, so I had, to, I had to put myself right in the middle of that situation and smell that smell and see the sights and everything and uh, relive what had just happened to my family. And then we had to go through the insurance companies and we had to uh, get the process of rebuilding my mother-in-law's house uh, put back and put in motion. So as you probably know, things like that, as in most things, the wheels turn slow, especially when there's lots of money to be involved in getting the fix done. Those wheels turn really slow. So every time I drove by that house, every time I visited that house, what came right into the center of my brain was that smell and that look of when I had to wander through that house to get that paperwork. So the demolition was terrible. But then things started to happen. The burnt wood started going away. The new wood started coming in. And, you know, we just had um, Christmas Day there, just past Christmas Day. And I don't smell that smell anymore. So the demolition was good, was terrible. But we were patient, and we were faithful, and eventually... The good came through. Amen? Yeah. So if you're ever going through anything like that, listen to our sister, what she just said. The demolition is going to be terrible. But if you press through and you trust in God, his will will be done in your life. Believe that? Let's praise him for that. Come on. If you haven't already noticed, our pastor's not here today. He's away, and uh, he has asked me to speak the word today, and I will not be here very long. And I hope uh, what I've prepared is helpful to somebody. I think it helped me. And whenever I go about doing this, what I do is I try to find an area that I want to grow in. And I try to research it, and I try to, to talk about it. So hopefully I've, I've done an okay job today. And uh, 
what I'm about to talk about will help someone today. <clears throat> so the, um, the title of my sermon today is The Elements of Evangelism. And I want to start off by talking about where our pastor is today. He is down in Dallas. And yesterday, a very, very major member of our church family was laid to rest. Her name was Debbie Titus, the wife of Larry Titus, who is the leader of Kingdom Global Ministries, of which we are a functioning member of. We're part of their church family. And they are a global thing. They got churches all over the nation, all over the world. If you've never been able to see a uh, men's summit or a uh, thing that Global uh, Kingdom Global Ministries has put forth, very powerful, very godly. And I'm so proud to say that I'm a, I'm a small part of it. Small, small part of it. So Pastor Keenan is down in Dallas right now saying goodbye to his spiritual mother, Debbie Titus. Tens of thousands of people in the nation and around the world are mourning her loss. I'm mourning her loss. Now I've only, had, I've only met her a few times. I've probably had less than this many conversations with her. But I mourn her today. So I was talking about that, and I had some conversation with Sam. Uh, I guess the, um, the funeral is on YouTube, and um, the testimonials, the sheer greatness of the event, it was two hours long, and it was so powerful. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch it. I didn't know it was available on YouTube, but if you can find it, I guarantee you you'll be moved by what you see. Because many people came together and they paid honor to a woman that has done great things in the lives of especially women, but people all over the world. If you ever get an opportunity to purchase her book or her CD or anything, anything like catch a video of her online on YouTube, I promise you, you will not be disappointed. So this woman, Debbie Titus, is a member of this church family right here. The ripple effect of what she's done and who she is reaches all the way out in Emily City, Michigan, and beyond. So if you don't know her, know that an iconic woman of God has been laid to rest. And our pastor is down there mourning her. He calls her his spiritual mother, and he takes that very seriously. That's a true thing in his heart. And you know his mother. He has lots of love for his mother. Who would replace Billy? But he calls Devi his spiritual mother. So that's just a little hint as to just what our pastor thinks about Devi Titus. So Kenan's down there mourning her loss. I mourn her loss. I did not know her well. But this past year, the entire world grieved the loss of Queen Elizabeth. 
Now, I didn't know Queen Elizabeth at all. I don't know if she's ever done anything that's impacted my life. Maybe she has, but I don't know. So I'm here to be transparent and say I did not necessarily mourn the loss of Queen Elizabeth. But there are so many people that didn't know her that did. And you can say that people that have passed away that have risen and people have mourned the loss. And I'm going to get into that a little more a little later. But my big question is, what makes us want to mourn people we don't even know? You know, I know they don't really do newspapers anymore. But if you grabbed a newspaper and you looked at the obituary, there's many, many people that you don't know that are in the obituary that you probably wouldn't mourn. So why do we mourn people we don't even know? That's a part of my message, and then I'm going to kind of shift gears. I'm going to go in a different direction a little later, and hopefully it all comes together. So there's a couple of reasons why we may mourn people that we have uh, not any experience with or, or known. Um, I got down five. The first three, I'm going to spend some time on. The second, the next two, I'm going to touch on, but I'm not going to really spend too much time on it. One reason why we may mourn people that we don't even know is they modeled possibility. When a person who inspires you dies, they leave behind a legacy. So what's a legacy? A legacy, uh, when, um, this was a long time ago, when I did my father's uh, sermon, when he passed away, I talked about his legacy. And um, the dictionary definition of legacy, uh, in the broad strokes, it kind of examples a leaving behind of property, business, money, things like that. Your legacy can be passed on down to your children. But I looked at it a different way. Um, who you are and how you impact people and how you made a difference in someone's life, that can really be considered part of your legacy. Do you agree with that? Just because you can't spend it or uh, profit from it financially doesn't mean it wasn't a valuable part of this person's existence. So when a person who inspires you dies, their legacy for at least a moment seems to come to a close. With their passing, we momentarily feel like the possibility that they demonstrated is no longer possible. This is not a true thing, but it can feel that way. Now this was all happening when I was... Uh, before I was born, I know, that's a long time ago. But I want to uh, bring forth uh, Martin Luther King Jr. when I talk about this. Martin Luther King Jr., through his acts and through his words and through his inspiration of people, he modeled the possibility of a better day, right? People of color were going through some terrible things. So when Martin Luther King came on the scene, he not only 
did he advocate for these people, but he did it in not only in a legal way and in a inspirational way, he did it in a godly way. He never let God leave the canvas when he was talking about equality and raising people up and people getting a better life. I know if you guys can tell me if that's a true story or not. I mean, I, that's how I gathered Martin Luther King impacted people. But it, I would imagine that when he died senselessly, some people, for at least a moment, his legacy kind of kind of died a little bit. And they said to themselves, if, if evil's going to do that to him, what hope is there for any of us? But I'm thankful to say, hopefully, that the things that Martin Luther King did, the things that he said, the things that he stood for, created a ripple effect that is still rippling today. And, and I'm hoping that that is a reason why you would mourn the loss of someone like him that you don't already know. Does that make sense? Amen? Uh, the next one I want to talk about is um, their work helped get us through a difficult time in our lives. Inspirational figures are powerful influencers in our lives because they do just that. They inspire us. And when their light dims, it's harder for us to see. So I'm going to put Debbie in there for that one. I know I can put Debbie in there for all of these, but I'm going to put her in there for that one. And um, she was a very inspirational figure, a powerful person. Uh, thousands and tens of thousands of people knew her. And she inspired people through things like depression and loss. I mean, I know we all know our pastor, but Heaven forbid anything happened to him. These are the things I would look at. I would look at the fact that he helped me through some of the smallest and darkest times of my life. There may be a person that's a famous person or someone you may not even know that their behavior, their actions has helped you through things. Um, people advocate for um, equality, uh, maybe um, uh, people like, uh, help you through things like depression, maybe suicide things like that. When they pass away, even though you've never met them, your pipeline to those things may dim a little bit. So there's another reason why we may mourn someone that we don't even know. The third one is their existence inspired our dreams and goals, giving us hope for a brighter future. The one I want, um, I'll read it on it, and I'm going to talk about the person I thought of when I read this. It's important to remember that even when someone inspires you to become a better version of yourself, it's ultimately you that has to do the doing. When we are experiencing grief, it can be easy to lose sight of this. You may feel like you needed their example to shine a light on your own path. <clears throat> but remember, the path was always there. 
They just helped you see it more clearly. With practice, you can learn to be your own light. Now, the one I thought of with this one was uh, the actor uh, Chadwick Boseman. He played uh, the character of the Black Panther. And uh, he died way too young from cancer. And I will tell you, even though I didn't know him, I was inspired by how he lived his life. And he gave me hope that a young man can behave in a godly way that can show love and kindness and support and he can still do great things. He can do great things in the fleshly realm. He can be a great actor. He can make lots of money. He can, he can reach people and he can do it like this. So he inspired me. And that's another reason why we may mourn people that we don't even know. Now these uh, next uh, two items are more, I will call, um, psychological and less spiritual or life-affirming. So I'm going to go through these really quickly. Another reason the death may trigger a grief surrounding a previous loss. The reason why we grieve people we never met is pretty big. Unfortunately, and most humanely, the death of famous figure can trigger our grief surrounding a previous loss. If an actor your father loved dies, it may remind you of your father's death. If someone who played a character on the TV show you used to watch at your grandma's house dies, it may trigger memories of death. It's not easy, but they serve a purpose. They can help us get in touch with ourselves and remind us that life is, in fact, short. So my last bullet point on this is their passing activates our personal fears about death. Now this is especially for the younger generation. A famous death can activate little understood fears surrounding death itself. And I'm going to use uh, Paul Walker for this one. He was an actor who played in uh, The Fast and the Furious. At 28 years old, Paul Walker suddenly died in a car wreck that shook the nation. The final reason why we grieve people we've never met has less to do with their death and more to do with fears about our own. Now, I know when I was 20-some years old, I thought I was invincible. thought I was going to live forever. I didn't have to worry about what I had to drink, eat, or do. I could get what I wanted. If I can get to 120 today. So Paul Walker reminded us that no one is immune from the tragedies of life. He had the world by the tail, if you will. He had a good career. He had great money. He had a good family. He could do whatever he wanted. And that's what he did. And then, unfortunately, life happened, and he crashed into the pole. So a lot of people who had these I'll live forever vibes suddenly became smacked in the face with the fact that they have mortality as well. So could you mourn someone because you're fearful about your own death? I would say yes. 
And these are just a few examples on why we may grieve those that have little or no experience with us, as I am sure we could discuss many more. Where I would like to go with the rest of my time is what it was Debbie Titus possessed that made her the ambassador to Christ that we should inspire to be. So Debbie Titus was an ambassador to Christ. Pastor has given us this charge in these past few weeks to reach out. And he said, just save one, right? I want to save more than one, but we'll start with one. But he said, be an ambassador to Christ. So what is an ambassador to Christ? An ambassador is someone who represents a certain nation in front of a foreign nation. So who are you representing? You're re representing the kingdom of God. You're representing Jesus himself. And you're representing out into the world. And you are hopefully drawing people into Christ through your words, your actions, and your behaviors. So I'm going to start off in a little scripture here. I'm going to do Matthew 7, 15 through 20. And I'm sure you've all heard this one before, but it's called, uh, You Will Know Them By Their Fruits. And in the scripture it says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear a bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear a good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by the fruits you will know them. Without knowing her personally very well, I can tell you that Debbie Titus was a great woman of God. Through her books, her speaking engagements, I have witnessed uh, awe-inspiring how many men and women she has mentored and helped mold into powerful people of God. I can especially honor her for the love and impact she's had on my friend and pastor's life. Just to see what she has meant to him spiritually is proof enough for me that she's been blessed by God. See, I can, take the, I can take what I have seen. I can take my pastor. I can break it down. I can tell you what he is, who he is. And by knowing that she was part of the thing that helped mold that, that's got to be God. It's got to be. So I can honor her for that, if nothing else. So again, I want to go through talking about what an ambassador is. An ambassador is a respected official who reflects those who gave him or her authority. So what does that mean? Um, God has given us authority to represent him and win souls for his kingdom. So to do that, we have to reflect the goodness of God, right? We can't come in in a fleshly way and expect to draw anybody to God through that. 
You have to act as a representative of a nation or ruler. So you have to have the traits of the leadership that gave you the authority. You have to be a representation. Now those of you who have kids, when you send your kids to school, you hope that your kids act as a representation at school of the teachings that you've given them and the morals and the values. It's what God expects from us. As we represent him, we have to portray the values and the morals that he would have us have to be a good ambassador. Devi had that. You have to live to be an ambassador. You have to live and work in a foreign land. Your work has to be outside of your four corners, right? To be an ambassador, you have to go out into the world and you have to teach that or show that person that doesn't understand or doesn't know that this is what God has for you. This is the goodness of God. This is the bigness of God. Let me show you who God is and why if you should receive him, receive his son, you're going to have a blessed life. Let me help you understand that. If you can do that out in the world, that's being an ambassador to God. And last but not least, to be a good ambassador, you have to build relationships. It's an ambassador's job to bridge the gap from nation to nation, to understand the wants and the needs of not only his or her nation, but the nation that they are reaching out to. So as you reach out into the fleshly world, if you will, it's important that you not only understand where you're coming from, but try to have an understanding of where they're coming from. If you can do that, you can better understand how to teach, how to learn, how to guide. So in the same way, Christians serve as Christ's ambassadors by representing our king. We live and work and build relationships here on earth, all the time remembering that we're here to represent someone and somewhere else. Do you want to be a great ambassador for Christ as you share your faith? Here are some ten, here are some important reminders. These are going to be some things that you have to um, build, understand, acquire if you're going to do a good job being an ambassador for Christ. So what do I need to do? What do I need to have if I'm going to reach someone? Uh, number one I want to talk about is attitude. Attitude is everything. Whenever I train anybody at work, I've trained many people in my life, the thing I look closest at is their attitude. Are they willing to learn? Are they willing to work? Are they willing to respect? Or do they think they just deserve things? 
I can teach at my job just about anybody to do the job. But good employees will have the best attitudes. Amen? So there's a reason that employers look at the first at potential employees' attitude. It impacts job performance. And a great attitude can overcome many obstacles. I want to talk to you um, about a lady in my company, and I'm going to call her Susanna. That's not her name, but it's being recorded, so I just don't want to put people's personal business out there. Susanna developmentally was a little bit behind most people, didn't quite understand as well, couldn't quite work as quickly, couldn't quite recover from setbacks, behind. So if you work in a company the size of mine, you work with uh, many different people, um, with many different expectations, many different types of attitudes. Well, Susanna, even though she was a little less qualified, Susanna had the best attitude I could ever hope for in an employee. I got 100% Susanna out of anything I ever asked Susanna to do, ever. So all that being said, I would get approached by some of our more quality, qualified employees, and they would tell me things like, I don't want to work with Susanna. You should get rid of Susanna. What, what's, why do we have to work with Susanna? You know, why? Why are you burdening my life with Susanna? I would get stuff like that. So one time I'd had a little bit enough of it, and I chose to be honest. When you're in leadership, a lot of times you have to, uh, you have to be... Uh, Politically correct, I'll call it. And sometimes uh, honesty kind of loses on that a little bit. But on this day, I chose to be honest. And I told this person. I said, you know what? I said, I don't care how capable you are at your job or what you do. So what I will tell you is Susanna gives me a 1,000% every day. Susanna never lets me down in her efforts. Susanna never comes to me and talks about what a worthless person someone else is. So what I will tell you, employee, is that I would rather have one of her than ten of you. And I sent her on her way. Was that the right thing to do? I think so. She never brought it up again, I'll tell you that. So in the same way, our attitude about sharing our faith makes the world of difference. So this is where a good ambassador attitude will make the difference when they're reaching someone who may be closed off. Maybe they have a different religion. Maybe they have a different set of morals or ideals. And I'm going to bring, I am going to talk about this guy. He used to work with me, but I'm going to talk about this guy. His name's Lance Bishop. And uh, Lance Bishop is now working in a Christian uh, university down in Florida. And he is uh, he's doing God's work down there. I'm very proud of him. But Lance Bishop would witness to a tree. He was fearless. He is fearless. But the way he did it 
was awesome. He came up to you and he, he made you want to listen to him. Now, I was already a Christian, so I was kind of easy for me to hear it, but I've seen him approach people that needed to be approached. And the way he did it, his attitude, he did it in kindness. He did it in excitement. He was excited to tell you what God had for you. He wanted it for you, not for him. So he was an example to me on how to witness to someone. So you, you could be the best-looking, best-dressed. You could be knowing the most scripture. But do you see evangelism as something you have to do or something you get to do? Now, I'll be honest with you, in the, time, in the past, I've seen evangelism as something I had to do. I wasn't comfortable going up to somebody who might laugh at me, somebody who might scoff me, somebody who might say, yeah, that's stupid, get away from me. Because that's the possibility you'll run into. You might run into that. But don't let it get you down. Keep coming and keep spreading that message. So evangelism starts with relationships. Evangelism done without connection to others can seem like a sales pitch. That's probably why the door-to-door soul savers sometimes struggle. You ever get that guy that opens the door, he doesn't know you, but he's pretty sure you need to be saved? Sometimes we don't give that guy the attention he wants. But when our message comes in the midst of relationship or while we're serving others, our words are much more likely to captivate and connect. Now, relationships can take months or they can take moments. So when I say you have to build a relationship, that doesn't mean you meet them on Tuesday, you probably won't reach them until three months from now when they know you. That's not necessarily the case. It may be. But relationships could take months and it could take moments. You could just be that person that needed to help that person at that specific time. Maybe you needed to be that person that saw that woman walking home in the cold and decided to give them a ride. Maybe you were that person that helped that elderly person put their groceries in their car. Relationships can take moments, or they could take months. But if you, if you minister or witness through your relationships with people, they will hear you. So just walking up and hollering at people on the street may not work. You have to forge a relationship. Now, this one should, be, it should have been the first one, but it's not. But before starting, what do you got to do before you start? What do you think? Who said pray? Awesome. Before starting, pray. Now, it may seem like a no-brainer, but prayers could lead our evangelism efforts before, during, and afterwards. As pastors taught us, we need to pray for his will in this and all endeavors. 
and trust that he has the wheel. Who struggles with that? Apologize. usually tell my bowlers to put their phones on vibrate during practice, and I don't even listen to myself. So you have to pray for his will. And what's Pastor been talking about the last few weeks? Pastor's been talking about um, when you pray about these things, making change, reaching out, you pray for your specific laundry list, things might get muddled up. But what do you do? You pray for what? You pray for God's will in this situation. We should admit any fears we have. We should admit any fears we have, like fears of rejection, ridicule, not knowing enough. How many of you have been tempted to reach out to that friend or family member, but you don't because they may or say, what about this? And you might not have the answer. But would you risk the entire kingdom of heaven on your inability to answer one question? I would say I don't know, but let's talk about this. Let's find out about it together. Amen? So I've, I've held back before because I, I was afraid I was going to get intellectually boxed out, rejected, laughed at. Pastors talked about this. I've, I, have, I have held back before because I know or think I know people will look at me like that guy who did that thing back then. Right? We all got that story. So I'm not going to let that hold me back anymore. Because if I'm to trust God, I'm to trust God to know that he is trusting in me to be an ambassador for him. So I'm going to try to live up to that. I'm not going to run from that. So we have to admit any of the fears we have, ask God to open our eyes to opportunities, and they are everywhere. Pray for humility and respect toward others and ask God to do great things. Pray for humility and respect toward others. Have any of you ever tried to open the conversation and been smarted off to, barked down on, you know, treated like you're just a Bible-thumping idiot? There are people out there that will do that. Don't let that get you down. You have to handle that with humility. I know it's hard. I do not respond well to being yelled at, I'll admit. Especially when I didn't do anything wrong. But we have to take an understanding of what we're trying to do is much bigger than our own ego or our own feelings. And if people are going to smart off, bark us down, we can't respond in kind. That's what I'm trying to say. Amen? 
So we have to ask God to do great things. God will be the one to do the great things. He'll be the one that will curb that tongue that's speaking out against you. He will be the one that puts that thought in your head that will inspire someone. So as you pray, ask God to do great things. Amen? Always be ready. You can't be ready for every question you might get or every reaction someone might have. But you can know your Bible better this week than you did last week. It's funny how the Holy Spirit brings verses to mind that we've already learned, but he never delivers the ones that we have not learned. Anybody ever put a scripture in your head that you never learned before? If he did that, then why would we read the Bible? Right? We were to trust God just to bring it in our head when it happened. Why would we seek? God says, seek, you'll find. Right? Another vital point of evangelism preparation is abiding with the Lord or remaining with the Lord. Not just a Sunday afternoon conversation, but we need to re- abide in the Lord on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. Even when work is crazy, even when our kids drive us nuts, even when we have that loss like that of Debbie Titus, we need to abide in the Lord. Remain in him and constantly seek his word and counsel. We cannot bless anyone with what we don't already possess. Amen? Styles differ. When Beth and I were getting married, part of our marriage counseling classes, we received a book called The Love Languages. Has anybody ever read that book that got married? That's a a good one. So in the book, it expresses and it receives, it it talks about people, how they uh, receive and how they are are to give love, and they got five different ways. They're called The Love Languages. Uh, Quality time, words of affirmation, gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. The sooner you discover your language and that of your loved one, the sooner you can take your relationships to new heights. So I think that's an important one. You have to understand where, you're com- where your partner's coming from. You also have to understand what you need. And I don't know, it's probably more complex than just these five different things. But if you're going to sustain your marriage, if you're going to elevate your marriage, you have to constantly be looking for what your partner needs from you, and you have to communicate what you need from your partner. So throughout history, we see many ways that people have effectively shared their faith, from sharing your story to inviting people to church, just to serving others, There are many ways you can share the hope you have in Christ. While we each tend to use the styles that fit our personality the best, meeting people where they are is vital. We must be willing to share our faith however and whenever God needs. So you're going to have that thing that you're comfortable with, that way of doing things that you're comfortable and strong in, but there are if we are to really be great ambassadors to Christ, we have to really have our eyes open. We have to really kind of look out and talk and, and decide and understand what might this person need from me today. It might be 
a scripture. It might be a hug. It might be just a, you give them your phone number and you tell them, hey, if you ever need anything, you'd call me. It could be inviting them to church. It could be giving them food when they have none. So we have to look out. What do people need? As often as we can, we should help people understand the entire storyline of God's message of reconciliation. So what is that? God's message of reconciliation is that in the beginning, God created all. We gave it away. We created separation between ourselves and God, but God made a way through the death of his son that we can be reconciled with him to gain the kingdom of heaven. That's the storyline, right? But a lot of people don't really understand. They add things. They take things away. They, they include, you know, what about this? What about that? So God created a perfect world and had a perfect relationship with people. But that world fell from God's original design because of our sin. But God had a plan, and he redeemed or brought back the entire world through his son. And he's now begun restoring all of it to its original design. So what might I say as a non-believer if you were to say this to me? I might think that's pretty crazy. What about evil? Why does God let babies die? Why would such a great God create such bad, allow such bad things? You're going to get all those questions. But you have to nail home the main points. When we share our faith, we not only offer people forgiveness of sin, or a one-way trip to heaven, but we also offer people the chance to join in God's great story and participate in his family. Amen? Uh, Next we're going to talk about, uh, let's ask some questions. Questions should be a big part in any spiritual conversation. You can't just push up on somebody and say, you're wrong and I'm right and here's why. No good. Asking someone about their background and their beliefs not only shows respect, but it also helps you determine what they need to learn about the free gift of grace available in Christ. So I know you know this, but it just comes to my mind. The Christian religion is the only one that offers a free gift of grace. Where else are you going to get that? So you have to understand where people are coming from, their background, their beliefs, what they've been taught, if you're going to direct them toward Jesus. Questions also help when someone brings up objections. Asking questions like, what do you mean by that, or have you ever considered, can help you guide the conversation and communicate the gospel in an appealing way relational way. I'll guarantee you if anybody ever opposes you in a really strong way, it's most of the time 
an emotional response to what you're telling them. So if you kind of calmly and with love ask them to expand on what they're talking about, what do you mean by that? Or have you ever, and you offer them this, have you ever considered that the sacrifice of Christ will allow you everlasting life in the kingdom of heaven? It will wash your sins free. Have you ever considered that? That if we could just be there just from being good, why did Christ die? These are questions you can ask. Amen? All right. The discipline of evangelism trumps the gift of evangelism. Some people are naturally more skilled than others at engaging in spiritual conversations. Yet the Bible makes it clear that each of us are called to share our faith. We are all ministers of reconciliation. Debbie comes back to mind. Debbie was talented enough that she could write books. Books that sold. Books that inspired. Books that educated. She had that gift. But just because we may not does not lessen our value as ministers to the reconciliation of God. Don't short yourself because of what you think you are or are not. God says that you are more than a conqueror. God says that you are a powerful person and you can do all things through God who strengthens you. So to be a minister of reconciliation, which means to serve the restoration of man's relationship with God. That sinners are alienated from God and enemies in their minds by wicked works, yet God has provided reconciliation through Christ's death. That also means sharing spiritual discipline regardless of whether we feel talented, experienced, or gifted at all. An evangelical moment that will stick with me forever came from a seven-year-old Aiden Zawada down in the youth group. So again, what, what are we talking about? An evangelical moment, a time that someone came and reached out and showed God to another. Amen? This moment... I've told this story before, but it fits here, so I'm going to tell it real quickly again. We were downstairs playing uh, Duck, Duck, Goose, and everybody knows Jeremiah, right? Jeremiah's our boy. So it was his turn, and he did goose, and he ran around, and uh, he, uh, he fell. He didn't injure himself, thankfully, but he was kind of hurt. His knee hurt, and he was laying there on the ground, and uh, he was okay, but Aiden was laying there with his hand on his shoulder, patting his shoulder. So I looked to him. I said, Aiden, I said, that's very nice that you're comforting Jeremiah like that. He says, yeah. He said, I'm just taking all my love and I'm giving it to Jeremiah. I'll never forget that. A little seven-year-old boy taught me something that day. 
Praise God for him. So the more we live out this command, the more comfortable and skilled we will get. So our next point is obedience is not determined by outcome. This one can be hard. This is for the ones that don't always go like you want them to. Evangelism will, from time to time, be met with opposition. Regardless of someone's response to our words, obedience is determined by whether we share our faith and present our message in wise and loving ways. Scripture illustrates the way to be obedient in the face of trial. 1 Peter 4.12, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange has happened to you. In 2 Timothy 3 and 12, it says, Jesus says this. No, I'm sorry. In 2 Timothy 3 and 12, it says, This is not new. This is not strange. It is normal. Paul promises that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And in the same way, Jesus reminds us, in Matthew 5 and 12, they persecuted the prophets in the same way. They persecuted the prophets who were before you. Do not be surprised. God certainly isn't. So Jesus let them know that God understands that the evil of the world is out there and it may not stop just because you're evangelizing, but evangelize. So I used to play high school football, and I was a left tackle. So my job, every time the ball was snapped, was to block. I had to block. If I didn't block, my quarterback was going to get smacked. My running back was going to get ran over. We were not going to get the play, and we would fall behind, and we'd lose the game. That was my portion of my job. So if I went out there with my headache, I blocked. If I got hit pretty hard and my knee hurt, I blocked. If I had a real hard time at school or at home that day, I blocked. You know where I'm going with this? No matter what happened, no matter what I went through, I lined up every play and I blocked. That's why I like to say I do for our pastor here today is in this house, I'm here to serve this house, not only for God, not only for the kingdom, but for my pastor. Everything he's ever asked me to do, if I had time or not, whether I was physically up to it or not, whether I was busy or not, I blocked Amen? So if you go up against something that press, you will press through. If, it's impo- if this is important to you, you will press through that which presses against you. And of course, we all rejoice with the angels. 
every time someone chooses to follow Christ. We cannot control the results of a gospel-centered conversation, but we can be obedient to faithfully share the good news. So whether you are met with opposition or love, whether you are honored or ridiculed, whether you are frustrated or inspired by evangelizing, evangelize. Keep doing it. The next thing we got to do is remove excuses. We like to make excuses, don't we? Some believers don't share the gospel with others because they're afraid they don't know how, when in reality, our reasons for avoiding evangelism may have more to do with apathy or a lack of empathy. How many of you have been through this? You go to your kid. Your kid's room is a mess. You tell them to clean it up. They don't. You do this about a thousand times. They still don't. They say, you know what? I don't care anymore. Leave it. And you walk away. Who's done it? Come on. Come on. I've done it. Didn't last long, but I've given up on the fight because they just weren't doing what I asked them to do. And it wasn't worth it to me to stress out over it anymore. So does that happen when you have it in your mind or in your heart to reach out to that person? The worst ones are family members, I think. When you reach out to that family member or that person that's important to you, you want to do it, but you know they're just going to blow you off. Do you decide not to do it because you don't want to go through that? I have. We get distracted by things around us, forgetting that each person we encounter is a spiritual being with an eternal destination. You might be that one person's only hope. Pastor talked about that. Imagine if that group you are hesitating to engage has that one member that is ready to listen. What if that family member you tried to reach so many times is finally ready? Remove your excuses by remembering that someone, somewhere, changed your eternity by telling you about your great need for a Savior. Amen? Amen. I'm going to close with this. Uh, I believe De Devi embodied all these attributes and many more. How she taught, how she lived, how she loved, will witness to the lost long from now. Her example has planted many seeds around the big world of ours. My prayer is that reflecting upon her life and those like hers will inspire each of us to reach out, even when it isn't easy, to help draw people to embrace our gift, which is our Lord, our greatest gift, which is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You receive that?